see these bodybuilders that have like an upper body that's huge big muscles but then skinny chicken legs <laughs> you know and then there's this ad that says don't skip leg day so yeah. the church is just like that the upper body is built strong with worship receiving prophecy preaching and so the upper body is strong but the the thin legs that need to be made strong are the chicken legs which are currently prayer and intercession and consecration they're so weak the proportions are, are kind of out of whack and so God is wanting to build our prayer muscle Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbert with Inspired. Great to be back for another week. I don't know how you're doing today, but uh, we are often, or I'd say constantly bombarded by negativity and cynicism and bad news, and it's so easy to get discouraged. And so the whole point, if you're new to Inspired, is to get different mates of mine from all sorts of different journeys uh, that I've met through the years uh, to come and tell their story, to inspire faith, to stir us in our own journey, so that by the end of this, hopefully you'll leave a, a more encouraged and ready to take on whatever you've got on your plate. So that's what we're aiming for. I've got no doubt you're going to be inspired this week because we've got a fantastic man with us, uh, James Ladiran. Welcome, James. Hey, Simon. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's so good. I've been looking forward to this. James and I's paths first cross, I'm guessing about 15 years wow. ago, at the message in <laughs> Manchester. Yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? James still lives in Manchester uh, with his wife, Rebecca, and two kids. He uh, left uh, the message to found Prayer Storm, uh, which is basically it's a movement uh, that's, that's passionate about raising a whole generation of, of believers who are sold out for Jesus, committed to prayer, radical in their pursuit of holiness. Uh, he's a real prayer warrior, prayer monster. Uh, he's written Life on Fire, Becoming a Person of Prayer, Purity and Power. Um, roots in West Africa, uh, but uh, been in England now for a long time. Tell you what, James, I don't want to tell you a story. <laughs> Let's just kick off. Tell us t- tell us a bit about your, your, your family and upbringing background. It's very interesting. Yes, for it. so oftentimes when people ask me, where are you from? I have to clarify what do you mean <laughs> because yeah, yeah, sure. because my uh, you know I've got a family from different places and I lived in different places and so uh, my parents are missionaries now my dad is from Nigeria my mom is from mm-hmm. Ghana and that's because uh, my dad uh, was missionary to Ghana so he met my mom and got married uh, to Ghanaian and then they were both missionaries to Liberia which is where I was born so now I lived in uh, Liberia in my early years lived in Ghana for a bit and then lived mostly in Nigeria until I moved to the UK uh, 22 years ago now so that was uh, 2001 I moved to the UK and again all of that has been uh, kind of led by this kind of call of God on my family you know uh, for missions and so uh, that's just a bit of my background. Um, I know in the intro you said I've got two kids. Well, we now have three. So okay, right. <laughs> yeah. So looking back to your childhood, being raised by people that are passionate for Jesus, did you see a consistency in their life? Was that, was that attractive to you? Yeah. So you know, my mom is a prayer warrior. My dad is a ministry. I've always been around church. Like it's just been all I've known. Um, and it, it wasn't like. It's not that it wasn't attractive, but I didn't have anything in my heart that I like wanted to be in ministry. You know, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but oftentimes people get saved and they're part of a, a church, and obviously, obviously, people want to serve God. And sometimes I've noticed people feel like the best way to serve God is maybe to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to be on the platform. 
you know, and sometimes I notice people have like this itch to preach and to be on the platform. Well, I did not have that at all, maybe because I'd been around that most of my life. Mm-hmm. But I was very blessed to have parents that were authentic and living out their faith. I was very impacted by the way my mom uh, prayed and by the way she lived that life of prayer, even though I didn't like prayer and didn't want to do it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we often have family devotions and things like that. And my mom will have us all pray one after the other. And I did enjoy doing those uh, 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 family devotions and those prayer times. But I couldn't deny the presence of God when I came into a room and I saw her on her knees praying. I couldn't deny uh, the conviction I felt when I saw her praying or when I interrupted her when she was somewhere praying. It's like, I, I describe it this way. There's something that happens to you when you see someone doing something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, that <laughs> convicts you about doing it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so that, you know, that was just there in the atmosphere. And those were seeds planted in me that later, obviously, you know, became my lifestyle. So, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I've got three teenagers and, you know, family life has got ups and downs. It's messy. I, my desire for them, my, my kids was always that they would see a consistency in our life. And also because of our choices that they would have undeniable experiences of God at work mm. that they could say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not even into this thing at the moment, but I know that, uh, that God uh, has intervened. And, you know, for example, for us, he's provided with us with a house. We were in Burundi all those years, 20 years. I wasn't thinking about houses and then uh, unbelievable blessing coming back and seeing provision, but also wow. protection in, in, you know, war climate in Burundi and, and seeing God mm. you know, intervene and line up circumstances that, you know, then our kids, they've got their own story. They know that God is real. So, you know, relating yeah. that to you, did, could you look back and through your childhood and then teens think, well, I, I know that God really guided us in this situation as a family. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why we moved uh, from Liberia is the war. You know, there was war in Liberia and I have very vague memories of missiles and gunshots. (laughs) But they kind of just talked in the back of my mind, you know. I don't even know if I had any trauma from that. Someone said to me once, maybe you do have trauma and you're not aware of it. Well, I'm not aware of it, definitely. But the point is, you know, I I grew up around stories of God protecting us in that environment, but Mm. also stories of supernatural provision, just as you've said, how God provided you a house. I mean, my mom always recounted over and over again (laughs) stories of how God had come through for us. It's almost like she wanted that to be ingrained in us that, you know, this is God that did this. You have to know this is God that did this, you know. So, Go on, give us some examples. Oh, um, personally, I think it's more things that have happened to my mom uh, and my dad, uh, moments where they've been in need, where God has just come through with financial provision. I think with my mom, it's been when she's moved, because she moved countries uh, from Ghana to Liberia to Nigeria, you know, when we moved to Nigeria, she didn't really have uh, like, you know, a lot of close friends like such. And so, and she's quite a private person. And so there are times when she'll be going through things or she needed certain financial uh, breakthroughs or it was her birthday and it was only us that knew as a family and she didn't tell anyone. In fact, I know this has always happened to my mom. It doesn't matter what country she's in. Her birthday, she doesn't tell anyone. And oftentimes no one knows, but People come around to give her presents without knowing that God led them to the house on that day. So she'll be like, James, look at this. You you see how God has just 
blessed me again. And this happened year after year after year. And then there's situations where she would be in great need. In fact, I remember once that my dad was in the moment where he was needing some money. And somehow I just happened to have that money. And so I gave and it was like, James, you have no idea that what you just given is an answer to the prayer. And also that was stirring my faith as well, that yeah. actually I heard God to do that. And so we just have lots of stories of people showing up, giving things that we needed at a set time, you know, things happening in ways that we didn't plan, but clearly God orchestrated, you know, and just supernatural provision has mm. marked our life really. I love of those answers to prayer that you just know you're on track. I mean, it, my literally my first email that I ever sent in Burundi of maybe 190,000 emails over the 20 years we lived there. My first email was, guys, I need a computer. Uh, please pray for that. And, and, and that from an internet cafe, obviously, because I didn't have my own computer. And uh, a friend of mine in London that morning woke up and prayed, God, I feel like you're telling me to give my computer to someone. Can you show me who? <laughs> and he switched it on. And, ah, I got this request from Central Africa. You know, those are so faith building. And But the challenge, oh, absolutely. The challenge is, uh, I often say this is God gives where he finds empty hands and often mm. uh, particularly in, in the West uh, Western believers less so uh, you know talking from our African context you know uh, in the West often our hands are stuffed full we've got so much stuff and so it's hard to come to him empty handed in that state of real dependence mm. and, and desperation I mean I was just reading about George Muller this morning and you well, know, incredible answers to the prayers of you know he he offered up in faith, not asking people for money, but but he came yes. empty-handed, and we need to simplify, mm. don't we, and and, and mm. get on our knees, and then we have those stories, and those stories boost our faith and encourage other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. sure you've got lots of those, and we're gonna we're gonna unpack oh, yes. we're gonna unpack <laughs> them uh, and hear more about them. So you go through your teen years, um, war kicks off. Um, so you, how old were you when you moved to the UK? Uh, so I was 17 when I moved to the UK. So that means I was, I went to high school in Nigeria and I went to a boarding school actually. So, you know, I was away from my parents and it was, a, in fact, that was when my faith kind of started to develop because, you know, when you leave with your, when you live with your parents at home and you, they take you to church and all of that, you kind of end up not, I mean, well, for me, I, I realized that I didn't have much of a faith until I wasn't with my parents. Mm-hmm. Then I, I had to discover my own faith. Yeah. And, you know, I was faced with some challenges of a lack of desire to seek God. And the Lord just used uh, someone actually when I was at school to just challenge me about why were you now at the chapel? Why were you now at the service? And it was just a simple question. And that made me reflect like, yeah, why wasn't I there? And then I realized I didn't want to be there. But then I realized I actually do want to know God. And all these kind of questions started to, all, all these thoughts started to help me to realize that I actually needed to press into God for myself. And so I started this journey of seeking God at, uh, at school and started getting involved and serving. And gradually my faith uh, started to grow. So by the time I was 17, when I came to the UK, I'd had some significant encounters with God that radically shifted my life in such a way that I knew God was real in an undeniable way because I'd had a one-on-one encounter with him that no one could talk me out of. In fact, that radically changed my whole life. You know, so that really started to just build from then on and, you know, to where we are today. So when I look back on my life, I see like some some key moments of God really breaking into my life and and turning things around. Go on then. Let's let's just just unpack those key moments for us. Yeah. So one of those was in the year 2016. I just finished high school. Now, um, before this, I remember I was very much involved in the music uh, at school. 
in terms of in the in the chapel. And so I was very shy, would never really do any public speaking. And in fact, there are times when we would have moments where we'd had to do some sort of public speaking as part of a course or something. And I was so, so, so terrible at it. I hated, hated mm. <laughs> public speaking, anything of that sort. In fact, I often describe it to people as, you know, when you watch like X Factor or something and someone comes up that thinks they can sing and they can't sing and yeah. you watch it and you feel really cringy and embarrassed for them. Well, I say to people, well, I was like that times maybe 10, right. except I knew I couldn't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so it was just really bad. Now I'm saying that to say, Public speaking and preaching and all that was not my radar at all. In fact, I remember going to a meeting and a, a guy who was a you know a, a functioning in the prophetic gifts was prophesying over uh, my friends and myself. And because I was involved in the music and all that, he kind of gave them some prophetic words about writing songs and traveling the world and worship and all that. So I was expecting that when he got to me, he was going to give me a prophetic word about about music. But the prophetic word he gave was, you're going to be a preacher. And inside I said, Lord, why would you do this to me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was so, so disappointed. And so that's just to give the idea of how much it wasn't on my heart. Well, in the year 2000, I was invited to a a meeting on the university campus. This was in Nigeria. Uh, A friend had invited me to this meeting and this was unlike any meeting I've been to. So the preacher got up and he just said something really simple and on the lines of, you know, in fact, he didn't even preach that day. He just said, I really feel the Holy Spirit is going to move in a really uh, powerful way today. Now, I was in that meeting and I have heard many preachers say things like that over the years because I've grown up in church. Hmm. So in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I was, there was no expectation. And I was just like, I just felt like it was just rhetoric. It's just, you know, cliche. It's just, okay, I've heard this many times. I did, so I didn't really think anything except he was really going to move in this service. And this was going to be on a whole new level of anything I'd experienced before. So while the preacher is, is speaking, he didn't get to preach. He just said, I feel the Holy Spirit is going to move in this service today. And uh, he started to just say a few things about how he felt the Lord was going to move. Well, next thing I know, it wasn't a physical wind that came in the room, but it did feel like that because maybe there was about 200 students in the room. From one end of the room, like say I'm facing the stage and I'm on like say the third row, just imagine this. So from the back of the room on my left, all the way to the front of the room on my right, it was like this wave just came in. And when it came in, People started falling off their seats. Mm. Uh, Some were crying. Some were laughing. And some were rolling around on the floor like they were being delivered. Now, just to put this in context, the music was not hype. There wasn't anyone laying hands on anyone. There wasn't wasn't anything in the natural to explain what was going on. (laughs) So I was sitting there thinking, this is really odd. What is going on here? And I could tell people were encountering God. It, mm-hmm. it was just obvious something was going on. It, it was clear the spiritual realm was becoming so real yeah. in that space. And so while I was sat down on my seat, I said, Lord, I can feel that you're in this room. I don't want to leave here the same way I came. And literally right after I prayed that prayer in my heart, the preacher said, and you're not going to leave here the same way you came. And I was like, oh my goodness, he's just answered exactly what I prayed. Anyway, so I was sat on my chair just, just observing the, the holy chaos going on in this room and wondering what God was going to do to me. Well, 
as I'm sitting there on the seat, next thing I know, this presence comes on me. And it's hard to explain this, really, <laughs> because I was in control, but not in control, in that I, I yielded myself to the presence. And next thing I know, it was like I was lifted from my seat. Wow. And I started to hop around and like <laughs> bounce around dancing. I, I can't even explain it. My feet were moving so fast. So my head is going, Lord, what are you doing to me? You're embarrassing me. Stop this, please. Yeah. <laughs> my head is thinking these thoughts while my body is like so overwhelmed by this presence and I'm just hopping around like I am plugged into some power source and I can't stop myself. But as this is going on for a while, my, my mind is like, um, it's like I'm receiving like, like, like lots of information. I don't even know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the printing press. I, I've never been to the printing press, but I imagine like you have like a blank piece of paper and it's just stamped with lots of information all at once. Mm -hmm. And then another blank, it just, it was like my mind was just downloaded. All of a sudden I knew things. All of a sudden I knew lots of things. All of a sudden... And so, so I was just having this experience and my, I was going, wow, wow, because I am knowing things I never knew before. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you've seen The Matrix. There's a, there's a, the, the, this movie called The Matrix. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a point where this lady was trying to ride the helicopter. Um, I forgot, Trinity was her name. Mm -hmm. She's trying to ride the helicopter. She can't ride the helicopter. And so she kind of communicates to some people in another realm and they kind of download the, you know, all the knowledge to run the, the to fly her the helicopter mm -hmm. all at once. And in an instant, she's able to ride the helicopter, but a moment before that, she couldn't do it. <laughs> so it, it was kind of that experience where yeah. a moment beforehand, I didn't know some things. And then the moment afterwards, all of a sudden, I am aware of lots of things. And one of the things that I start to be aware of is the call of God on my life. And the Lord is speaking to me all these things. And this is in thought form. So it's lots of thoughts coming to my mind at a rapid rate. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, 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 wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. I had no idea. Oh, wow. It was like I was discovering myself in a way I'd never seen myself before. Mm. And all I can say is, that encounter with God brought about a personality transplant for me. Mm. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. Because before that encounter, I will never and could not stand in front of a crowd of even five people to say anything. I hate, I was painfully shy. After that encounter, it was like, I felt like I could stand in front of a million people and I didn't care what they thought. Yeah. I, if I, I was ready to say whatever the Lord wanted me to say, this boldness to speak yeah. just came out of nowhere. It was a radical shift. So right now, every time I speak or teach or preach anyway, I know it's a miracle I'm able to do that because I know what I was before yeah. Yeah. I encountered God. So that became a, that became a mon monumental shift in my life. Mm. Well, J James, I... I, I'm glad to hear that from you as someone who I, I trust, because let me say this, I, I know some people will be listening and some people have been in those meetings and I've been in those meetings where I thought, what the heck is going on? These people are nuts. I don't like it. God wouldn't do that. You know, you have all those thoughts and, I, and, I, yeah. I, and, and it, sometimes it can even be disillusioning, but as mm. the biblical test is by your fruit, you'll know them, and, isn't mm. it? And um, yeah. you came out of that encounter radically different and it was all good. The fruit was good, wasn't it? It was boldness yes, for the gospel. Yes. It was it was enlarged yes. vision of how God was going yes. to use you. 
So yeah. yeah. Um, so for, for people who that might sort of think, flipping out that he's a nut job, or that, that they're a bunch of nutters. <laughs> um, God, you know, God just sometimes just doesn't work in our tidy boxes. And I think uh, my, my, I know in the natural, my sort of respectable Pharisaic spirit would would, mm. would find that just sort of that is out of my comfort zone. And yet God works differently to us. Absolutely. And can I add this? I have never been in a meeting like that since. Right. That's good. And that was in the year 2000. Now, I've been in meetings where, like you're saying, some strange things are happening. And because of my experience, I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't understand what this is. (laughs) But we're seeking you. So, Lord, please confirm to me that this is your spirit at work. Mm. Because, you know, there are all sort of spirits out there. So, I'm just wanting you to know, I have not been in a meeting like that since. And I'm not saying God cannot do that, but it was so unique in the manifestations that were taking place that I could only point to the fact that this has to be the Holy Spirit, you know, because my life is a testament to that, like you said, even all these years later, you know, and, and, and also just to add a bit of balance to that, you know, the Bible says, test the spirits. Mm. And so the, the, the times where it's good to even, I, I know we can err on the cynical side of, oh, this can't be God or whatever, but it's good to ask the question, Holy Spirit, is this you? Yeah. Because you could have like three people manifesting. One is making it up. One is of the devil and the other is of the Holy Spirit. And they could look similar. And so it's actually the grace of God that helps us to discern, okay, Lord, is this you or is it the flesh or is this the enemy? What is really going on here? In fact, in these days, there's so much need for discernment to kind of begin to discern what God is doing and what he is not doing and what the enemy is doing. Yeah. You know, as you're speaking, and you're you're sort of quoting uh, one Thessalonians five, aren't you? Test everything, test the spirit, hold on, re- hold on to the good, reject what is evil. Um, I think of my granny, and she was in the East African revival, and she did. So she was in uh, Rwanda particularly, and she did have the gift of discernment. And uh, during the East African revival, I mean, nuts stuff was happening, beautiful stuff was happening, but also counterfeit stuff was happening. So at one stage, she um, she could see yeah. these women who were manifesting, and and it was being credited. As 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 the Holy Spirit, where she she saw demons on on these people, uh, on these women who were howling like dogs, mm. and she went to the the the, 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 mm. the pastor and said, "That is not of God. You need to control that." And and the the, mm. the, the tricky thing was that he was like. Hey, I, but I don't want to quench the spirit's fire, uh, so he allowed it to continue. But it, I mean, these are these. Are, this conversation maybe is outside a lot of our most people's sphere of reference. But but um, <laughs> anyways, um, let's 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 keep going. So that was a massive, significant encounter. What 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 be another building block? Yeah. So um, after the encounter, it was undeniable to me that God was calling me to serve him in a ministerial capacity of some sort. Now, I didn't know what that was going to look like, but it, it was just so clear to me from that encounter. So um, so 2001, I moved to the UK and I went to college and um, this desire was building in me. And I was thinking, okay, I think I need to go to Bible college. Um, and so I was talking to my dad about this. And my dad was like, James, I think you need to go to university first. Why don't you go to university and then see how you feel about Bible college afterwards? He was just of the opinion that I needed to expand my life experience mm-hmm. before I went to Bible college. He didn't want me to just go to Bible college and just get locked into a box. He wanted me to kind of meet more people, think bigger, 
and then go to Bible college in the back of that. And I thought, actually, I mean, at the time, I didn't really see that. I didn't really see his point. But now I really see that that was a good, you know, advice. And I did take that advice. Now, when I went to Bible, uh, sorry, before I went to university, I was really having this strong desire to go to Bible college. And then while I was at university, I noticed the desire started to dwindle. And it got to a point where, in fact, I didn't have that desire as strong anymore. But it was still on my mind and I was debating it. So I went to a meeting and this guy, I'd, you know, I'd never met him before. He was kind of just ministering and preaching. And then it got to a point where he was praying over people. I had my eyes closed. So I didn't even know he was next to me because he was holding a cordless microphone. Next thing I know, he puts his hands on my shoulder and says, you don't have to go to Bible college. <laughs> and he goes on and gives this prophetic word. And it was just so, so uh, kind of significant. And so I knew at that point, God was just wanting me to go to university and just, you know, serve him in that way. And then just see how he led me, which is what happened. And so I went to university. I got to be part of the Christian Union uh, at Salford University, and it really did expand my mind. In fact, it challenged my theology a lot because I met people from different works of life and Christians that did not believe the same way I did. Mm -hmm. And so I started to I started to question a lot of what I had been brought up in. Like, okay, I might just be believing this because this is how I was brought up, or you know, I grew up mostly in Africa, and you know, all this, and so. It, I started to think a lot and started to do my own study, which kind of actually caused me to go deeper in my faith. Mm. So it was a good challenge because I came out of it with more conviction, if that makes any sense. I didn't come out doubtful. I came out more convinced. And then while I was at university, I started coming across all these books and stories about revivals and you know things that God had done in history past, the first, the second great awakening, the Hebrides revival, the Welsh revival, Azusa spirit revive. As I'm reading about these moves of God, it's like my life is being set on fire. Mm. So I, and then I start to realize that this is what I want. This is what I'm after. I want to see a move of God. And so while I was at university, I started spending days fasting, praying, seeking God, just pressing into God and seeking Him. Like, and, and so my hunger started to be shaped and increased. And it felt like, in fact, it, it's almost like my life calling started to kind of take shape while I was at university. And so it became really key for me in my time at uni. Mm. And so uh, I said earlier, our paths crossed at the message. Is that what you went straight into? So um, now when I was at uni, um, I didn't know about the message trust because obviously I went to university in Manchester. So I'll come to the piece about the message, which is a really interesting uh, connection. Now, uh, I graduated at university, uh, from university rather, in 2007. As I was about to finish, um, I think I just handed in my dissertation and that whole kind of, you know, craziness of kind of finishing uni, it, it gets busy in that season. And so I was thinking to myself, Lord, what am I going to do next? I didn't know what I was going to do next. In fact, I was wondering if I would just get a normal job and just serve God the best way I could. But I knew God had something for me. I didn't quite know what. Now, about two years earlier to 2007, maybe 2005 or 2004, I came across a ministry in America called The Ramp. It's a youth ministry and they have these kind of revival services. And um, I watched some of their clips and I was so impacted. Like I just loved what I was seeing of the authenticity of the hunger mm -hmm. and the pursuit of God by the young people. So 
in 2007, as I was finishing university, I kind of decided to kind of visit them. But I thought to kind of watch one of their live events or watch one of their events. And so while I was watching this event, the lady who leads these uh, uh, gatherings, uh, she's called Karen Wheaton. I heard her talk about a fast, a 40-day fast, that they were all about to go on. Now, these, this 40-day fast was called by a guy called uh, Luingo. Luingo is based in America, and at the time, he was leading a prayer ministry called The Call. And they kind of gathered thousands of people together to fast and pray for revival and for a move of God. And so at the time, I didn't know much about him. But I heard about this 40-day fast, and I got really stirred, and I felt like it was something that I needed to be part of. And so I, I did a Daniel fast. It was my first time fasting that length of time. But it became such a life-defining <laughs> season for me. Now, during the fast, I decided to visit the ramp for one of their summer gatherings. And I decided to go for the gathering of the call, which was the marking the end of the 40-day fast. This gathering was going to be in a stadium in Nashville, Tennessee with like a 77, I mean, there were 77,000 young people there. And it was a 12-hour prayer gathering marking the end of the 40-day fast. So while I, when I started the fast in the UK, before I went to America, I took some time out to go to a Christian retreat center to pray, to seek God about my future and just seeking him. And the word he gave me was Joel 2, 28. In the last days, mm -hmm. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And so that word was stirring in my heart. Anyway, so I showed up at the ramp in the middle of nowhere, a city of 5,000 people, Hamilton. And, you know, there's like, I don't know, maybe about 1,200 kids, teenagers mostly, from different parts of America at this conference. And so the conference started. Like halfway through the conference, Karen Wheaton gets up on stage and she says, oh, by the way, there's some kids who have flown to this gathering all the way from England. Now, this was a spontaneous thing. I didn't know she was going to do this. It's like, where are you? You know, those kids that came from the UK. And so there was me and two of my friends. And so she invited us on the platform. Hmm. And so she then shared of an experience that she had in Manchester years ago, previous to that, where God really stirred her heart for the city. Now, I was amazed by this. And let me just reiterate, this was all spontaneous, okay? Mm. So as she's sharing this, she looks at me and says, okay, James, um, uh, why don't you greet the people? So she just gave me the microphone. Now, Simon, I know you probably have done lots of events and gatherings. Mm -hmm. It's a risky thing when you give the microphone to someone you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I was amazed that she was just giving me the microphone to just greet, you know, 1,200 kids. Now, mind you, I've been on this fast. And the Lord had been stirring Joel 2.28 on my heart. So when she gave me the mic, as I started greeting the people, you know what came out of me? Joel 2.28, yeah. that scripture. But as that scripture came out of me, I felt something falling from heaven. And I don't, I've never had this experience since. It just felt like a mantle of some sort. I, I don't even know what word to give. All I know is there was this thing that fell from heaven and it was coming from my right side. And the moment it hit me, I fell on the floor on the stage and started to weep and groan and cry out to God for revival wow. in the UK. Yeah. And it was literally like an explosion went on in this meeting because the, the, all the kids, well, as far as I could see, most of the kids in the room were weeping and calling out to God for revival in the yeah. UK. For the next 30 minutes, I am on the stage, weeping, groaning. Kids are crying out to God. They're prophesying. It was like something 
unusual was going on in that room. And mm. to me on the stage, it was almost like I was having an out-of-body experience because I was, my head was going, what is going on? How, what's going on here? Like, it just seems so surreal. Now, that moment became so significant for the rest of my life. Mm. Now, this is how it connects to the message trust. That video of me praying on stage ended up with Andy Hawthorne. He's the head of the message, yeah. It was the who leads the message trust. Now, what happened was uh, after that experience in Hamilton, Alabama, I came back to Manchester, obviously, and um, I felt like the Lord put on my heart to just spend a lot of hours praying. Now, I didn't have a job. I just finished university. Lots of my friends were applying for lots of jobs. And I felt the Lord put on my heart. In fact, this is why I said to myself, Lord, I'm not going to apply for any jobs. I'm going to just seek you. I believe you're going to bring the right job to me. Now, that's kind of like a crazy thing to say. And I wouldn't even advise anyone to, to do that unless, you know, God is saying to do it. Because it wasn't that I was being lazy. I just had this conviction. It was like a gift of faith. I just knew the right job was going to come. So I spent a lot of hours praying like I'd never prayed before. You know, I wake up early in the morning, 4 a.m., 3 a.m., pray all the way to 11 p.m., 14, 15, 16 hours. In wow. fact, there are times where I would think to myself, James, what's going on with you? Because I'd never prayed like that before. Mm. And it was so easy. It wasn't like I was struggling to do it, you know, because I mean, there are times where prayer is work, where you're having to stay there, your flesh is screaming. And, you know, I understand that, but this was not that. There was such a grace on this season, mm. unlike anything I've known before. So I was spending all these hours praying. One day I'm praying like this. I, I had a word of knowledge. As I'm praying, I just heard a name loud and clear. And the name was this, Deborah Green. And that was all I heard as I'm praying, I'm praying in tongues. I just heard Deborah Green. And I don't know who Deborah Green is, never mm. met her before. I just heard it. And as I heard the name, I felt with that name, the impression came for me to do a search on Google for Deborah Green Manchester. So I just typed into Google Deborah Green Manchester and the details of her website, her office came up. Now I felt at that time to send to her office the video of the kids praying for Manchester and praying for revival in Manchester. So I just sent that link to Deborah. In fact, I didn't even send it to her. I just sent it to her office. I guess it was an info address. It was just a generic generic address on the website. Mm -hmm. I just sent it there and that was it. I didn't think much of it. Well, I didn't know that Deborah Green was one of the pioneers of prayer in Manchester. And what happened was she saw the video, was so impacted by it, sent it to Andy Hawthorne. And the author saw the video, was so impacted by it, he felt to play the video at a message prayer day. And so he played the video at the message prayer day, which kind of has, you know, the message staff and volunteers, maybe about 100 people or so. So he plays this video at the message prayer day. And the same thing that happened in the video starts to happen in the room. People are weeping and crying out to God for Manchester. Now, as this is going on, they're thinking to themselves, and he's thinking, who is this guy who lives in Manchester, boys in America, praying for Manchester? So they're all wondering, because no one knows who I am. Mm. And I don't even know this is going on. Well, as God will have it, there was someone in the meeting that knew me that I had not seen for several years. And she happened to be on the exec, on the exec team of the message. And so after that experience where they played the video, she sent me an email saying, hey, James, we haven't spoken for years, but... I just saw this video of you at some meeting in America. He says, she says, oh, why don't you come around to the message and meet with Andy Hawthorne, you know? And I thought, oh, great. So she arranged the meeting and I met with Andy. When I met with Andy, Andy was like, I'd like you to be our prayer coordinator. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, so on the back of that video, I got hired by the Message Trust to be their prayer coordinator. And so I started working at the Message Trust, doing prayer and doing video production because that was what my degree was in, uh, broadcast engineering. And so while I'm at the Message Trust was where I met you and that's where you came and spoke on the prayer days. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, so many good people. I mean, uh, Deborah and Andy are both uh, yeah, heroes of mine. And you got to rub shoulders with uh, incredible people, a wonderful movement of faith. And, yeah. and, and I guess that provided you the platform to then launch out into Prayer Storm. Go on, tell us that journey. Yeah, so I was working at The Message, mobilizing prayer within the ministry and for events and all that. But while I'm doing that, I... And I'm also connecting with Deborah Green and her prayer events and things like that. And I'm just realizing that a lot of the prayer meetings I was going to, um, apart from some of the ones we did in the message trust, the ones I was going to outside uh, in, in the rest of Greater Manchester were mostly uh, women, no men and no young people. So right. that bothered me. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking, why do these prayer meetings not have young people? And why do we not see lots of men in them? And so I was particularly stirred about, again, Joel 2.28, because that scripture yeah. says, your yeah, sons man. and daughters, yeah. young men. And so there's a real emphasis on the youth in that, in that prophecy. And so I really felt the Lord was uh, wanting me to kind of encourage young people to start to gather, to pray. And so I just started to connect with the friends I already had and started to encourage them to have weekly prayer meetings for their schools and for the city. And so before I knew it, I was connected to three different weekly prayer meetings going on, uh, led by young people in the city. And these started to gain momentum. And so I felt to gather these groups together to have a day of prayer for Manchester. And this was May of 2009. And so we had our very first prayer storm meeting. When we had this meeting, I don't know, I don't know, maybe we had over a hundred or so people come for it and mostly young people. And it was so powerful. Andy Hawthorne heard about it. And so he said to me, James, I heard about this prayer storm thing you're doing. And so he was so gracious to me. I was like, James, why don't you write a budget for it? And, you know, the message will fund it. <laughs> so basically, I kind of put a budget together for this, these gatherings. And um, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm kind of condensing the story here because sure. I, when we did the first gathering, after that gathering, I didn't really think I was going to do another one. I just felt that was it. But then God started to speak to me. I had some more encounters with the Lord that led me to believe that this was something he wanted me to do more of. And in that time space, Andy had already come to me and said, write a budget for this as well. So long story short, we had a 40-day fast again, called the city to that. And then we gathered young people together and we had a day of fasting and prayer for the city. And that led to prayer storms starting uh, it as a regular kind of gathering space for young people to pray and to seek God. And over the years, it started to gain momentum to the point that by 2013, I knew that God was going to call me to set it up as a charity and launch out from the message trust. And so I started speaking to Andy about this. And so by 2013 into 2014, I transitioned uh, from the message trust and set Preston up as a charity. And it became my full-time kind of focus because I felt like the Lord was uh, leading me in that way. And so here we are all these many years later, still doing the mobilizing of prayer and traveling around, inspiring churches and church leaders and raising up prayer leaders. And so it's been an incredible journey. Hmm. 
Hey folks, looking ahead to 2024, I'm planning my speaking schedule. So whether it's a Sunday service or men's breakfast, evangelistic event, youth, whatever, do get in touch at info at greatlakesoutreach.org. And hopefully I, myself, or one of our team of great speakers at Great Lakes Outreach will be able to come along and share with you. Get in touch, info at greatlakesoutreach.org. Maybe see you next year in the flesh. Let's get back to the podcast. So, uh, James, as, as phew, so much I want to ask you, and I want to get more highlight stories. But as 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 we, you know, come towards the end, if you just let rip on us with your DNA <laughs> and your heartbeat for us as thousands of listeners right now, we're listening to you and your heartbeat for uh, motivating and energizing us for prayer and purity and holiness. Go for it. Oh, thank you. So, you know, it's been said, I don't know who uh, said this, but I've heard this quote a few times that you go to church on a Sunday morning, you find out how popular the church is. Uh, Sunday evening, if they have an evening service, how popular the pastor is. But if you go to a church on a prayer meeting day, you find out how popular God is. Hmm. And it's it's obvious that, especially in the West, God may not be as popular as we think is, even amongst Christians, because we don't want to pray. And it's obvious in the prayer meetings because people don't attend prayer meetings. Prayer meetings are generally the least attended church services. And that's kind of like a known reality for many people. And we need to ask ourselves, why is that? If prayer is so powerful, why is that? Well, there's several reasons for that. You know, oftentimes we're trying to gather people corporately to pray, but they don't have a deep personal life of prayer. And so we're wanting God to do something publicly that we're not actually pursuing privately. Hmm. And so when we come together publicly for this prayer meeting, we're expecting some leader to kind of get us all stirred up, but we actually are not stirred up in our own selves. And so we're wanting something external to happen to us, as opposed to seeking God in a way where he's birthing and stirring our hunger for him. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's several reasons why the church finds prayer meetings um, challenging. One is I think sometimes they're not well led. I think there is a deficit and a real need for prayer leaders to arise. In fact, the Western church invests a lot more in raising up worship leaders. And mm. again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's training for worship leaders. There's all sort of conferences for worship leaders. But think about it. How many train, how many training conferences, how many training meetings are there for prayer leadership and prayer mm. leaders in the church? But if, if, if church leaders would think about worship leading the same way they think about prayer and they think about raising up prayer leaders, I think the, the church will radically shift. Because just like to lead worship, you need to have a certain level of gifting and singing and talent. I mean, if you have a worship leader that can't sing in tune, is playing the guitar and trying to lead people that can become distracting. I mean, they could be anointed, but sometimes that can become distracting as well. Mm. So in the same way, there are times where people are trying to lead prayer meetings that are not, they don't have a grace to lead in that area. Now, I'm not saying there is a gift of prayer because people get this mixed up as well. They think there is a gift of prayer. I don't see a gift of prayer in scripture. We're all called to intercession. You know, Jesus intercedes, the Holy Spirit intercedes, two thirds of the Godhead intercedes. So don't tell me intercessions for the old lady at the back of the church that has nothing else to do if God himself does it. So this is something that he's calling the whole church to do. Now, we're all called to pray and we're all called to intercede. However... There are certain people called to lead the church in the area. And you can tell they're called to lead because when they do it, other people are stirred to do it. 
You see, it's that kind of thing where when they operate in that grace, they mobilize the church to do this. And we need people to, we need the church to begin to recognize some of these people and begin to invest in in them, but also helping them to equip and raise the church to a place of prayer more than ever. And I can't tell you how many prayer meetings I've gone to or I've even been part of where we say we're going to gather for an hour to pray. But you know what happens? The preacher preaches for 45 minutes or, <laughs> or we sing for 45 minutes and then the preacher preaches for five minutes and then we have, you know, 10 minutes or five minutes of some wimpish prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with singing and there's nothing wrong with worship, but there's something quite significant when we begin to build our prayer muscles. The church, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen these uh, uh, kind of ads. There was a time it went popular online where you see these bodybuilders, bodybuilders that have like an upper body that's huge, big muscles, upper body, but then skinny, chinny, uh, skinny chicken legs, <laughs> you know? And then there's this ad that says, don't skip leg day. Yeah. So the church, the church is just like that. The upper body is built strong with worship, receiving prophecy and also and preaching. And so the upper body is strong, but the, the thin legs that need to be made strong, uh, the chicken legs, which are currently prayer and intercession and consecration. They're so weak. And so the, 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 the church looks kind of, dis, you know, the, the proportions are kind of out of whack. And so God is wanting to build our prayer muscle. Now, let me say this. Jesus started the church how he wants it. Now he wants the church how he started it. Think about this. He started the church with a corporate prayer meeting. The church started with about 10 days or so of prayer. And by the way, their, pre, their prayer meeting had a start time and no end time. They were going to pray until he came, until the Holy Ghost came. And so they did not have a prayer meeting. They had a prayer culture, in fact. And, you know, many of us live in different parts of the world where we see a rise of other ideologies, even, even Islam, radical Islam. There is a spiritual force behind it. And think about this. They don't have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer culture. But in the church, we have a prayer meeting. And we somehow want to have spiritual dominance over a region or territory without a culture of prayer. We're kidding ourselves. We're going to have to step into that same culture that the early church had, which was that place of constantly seeking God in prayer, privately and corporately. Mm. So I believe in these last days, God is wanting to build the muscle of intercession and prayer on a personal level, but also on a corporate level. I believe before Jesus returns, we're going to see the true church arise into that DNA, that identity we see in the book of Acts where in Acts 12, they were able to pray constantly for one thing, many hours investing, which spoke of their stamina. Think about it. I mean, they prayed for many, many hours for Peter to be set free from, from prison. How, you see, how, can you pr how many ways can you pray for one prayer request? Lord, set him free. Mm. Lord, set Peter free. Yet they did that for many hours. And when Peter was set free, it was in the middle of the night and they were praying, meaning they were constantly doing that. That speaks of the stamina of the early church in prayer. They were able to focus on one thing and stay on it for such a long time. I don't know about you, but I go to prayer meetings where we say, okay, let's pray for this. And sometimes maybe for the first few seconds, or if it's a strong church, for the first two minutes, you can feel the momentum. But after that, 
the momentum dips and everyone is waiting for the leader to give the next direction because people don't have stamina to push. But the early church, we're just going and going and going. Mm. So I am really passionate about the church arising. Let me wrap up with this. I think the 21st century church has become a nursery where babies are being fed and not a barracks where warriors have been bred because people are coming to church just wanting to receive what makes them feel good, wanting to receive. And you see, there's nothing wrong with that because in a sense, the church is meant to be a hospital too. But the church is meant to be a barracks where warriors have been bred Mm. to really influence the territories for God. And so it means we need to be built up in spiritual stamina. Luke 180 says, John grew strong in spirit and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Meaning there are times we have to grow strong in spirit in desert experiences. John was in the desert, but the desert was not in John. He was in a dry place, but yet he was waxing strong in spirit. So don't tell me, oh, I'm in a dry place, therefore I'm spiritually weak. John was in a dry place, a difficult place that was difficult on his flesh, but yet his spirit was rising in strength. So there are ways in which you can invest in your spiritual stamina. Think about it as going to the gym. There are ways in which you can build your spiritual muscle by going to the gym of prayer and seeking God. And when you do this consistently, your life will be radically changed. Amen. Preach it, brother. So I'm guessing um, your book, Life on Fire, Becoming a Person of Prayer, Purity and Power, that is a distillation of what you just shared, is it? Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, in that it carries that same DNA of what I've said, but it goes into details about the consecration element of the effectiveness of prayer. And so I talk a lot about the holiness. Basically, I I talk about what's going on in the culture right now that's actually uh, uh, polluting and contaminating the church and paralyzing us from being effective in prayer and deal with one of those main areas. I feel the enemy has brought this attack against the church and also equip, I I, I teach and equip the church on how to overcome those areas of uh, addictions, especially sexual addictions, because that is something that I see a lot in the body of Christ that's limiting people's effectiveness in prayer. So the book actually focuses a lot more on purity, but there's, yes, it does talk about prayer as well. Yeah. Oh, brother, you know, as you're, talking there i'm i mean we've got, we've got very different gifts the gift of what you've got to what i've got but uh, i'm like this it's the same dna and i'm just going oh preach it amen amen and i'm sure lots of people there there's a mixture as we listen to you of feeling oh i am such a loser in the in the realm of prayer and i'm so in the shallows of what intercession is but a hunger to say come on lord you can i don't want to settle for spiritual mediocrity i don't want to settle for the shallows when you're calling me to the deep how can can you pack us off with a parting encouragement on that yeah so i know that you know prayer is an area many people feel guilty about now the thing is i love spending time with christians that make me feel like i need to wake up Mm. (laughs) because you know i'm a musician and i know the way you play better as a musician is hanging around people that are a lot better than you and so it helps you to raise your game and so there's something healthy about being around messages and things that stir you. Now, don't get into a place where you're feeling like, oh, you know, I'm so rubbish, I can't do this. No, I wanted to, fi- I wanted to realize that you've got it in you to be a warrior in prayer. Start from where you are. It's as simple as making some life decisions right now. So 
when I wake up, I don't have to decide if I'm going to pray or not. That decision was already made years ago. It's a part of my routine. I set myself to pray, whether I feel like it or whether I don't. See, this is the problem. Many Christians only pray when they feel like it. And they think prayer is always going to be exciting. See, the fact that I'm talking in this way, excited about prayer, does not mean I find it always easy. I understand that the flesh likes to resist the spirit. So I know how to say, shut up to my flesh. And in fact, I feel prayer is one of those spaces where God deals with the flesh. And so practically, you can start by making a decision to have it as a part of your routine. Just like you wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you wake up in the morning, you have a shower, whatever you do that's part of your train, make prayer a part of that and start in a realistic way. So, you know, maybe you might want to say, okay, Lord, I want to wake up 30 minutes earlier. I want to wake up an hour earlier. Whatever you feel is a good place to start that you think is an achievable target, set it. Don't be unrealistic, but set that target. And I like to put it this way, you're better off. In fact, many people would hit that target to a larger extent. And it's far better to hit 80% of a target than hit 100% of zero target. Because mm. many believers have no target for their spiritual development. They just go to church and listen to a sermon, even listen to a podcast, and that's it. They don't actually think of any kind of system, routine for Bible reading, for building their spirit, for praying in the spirit, for spending time in worship. They don't think of it things that way. And if you were to want, if you were to go to the gym and have some targets for your physical development, you know, and you had a trainer, there'll be certain things you need to do consistently to kind of build that kind of muscle. Yeah. And so I want to wrap up with this. Spiritual maturity is realized in the consistent application of elementary things and not the occasional application of spectacular things. And so people sometimes can go to a conference and get excited. Oh, wow, that was powerful. I spent five hours in the presence of God. That was incredible. But after that, they don't spend that kind of time with friends. They don't spend that kind of time with prayer anymore. And so they have this spectacular moment, maybe every six months or every year or every three, where they have this moment, but they don't have anything consistent. But what you need to uh, have in your life is the consistent application of the elementary things. So if what you can do is 30 minutes a day, and you stick to that and even hit 95% or 90% of that target, you will be a different person by the end of this year just because of that consistency. Now, if you didn't have that, you will not be able to keep that momentum. Now, as you give 30 minutes, you realize 30 minutes is not enough <laughs> because as you grow, you start to realize you need more space and more time. And then that gradually starts to increase. And for me, I will say this, that it's in the disciplines that you start to realize the strength, the, the stamina, the rewards of prayer, they begin to manifest more and more as you keep that consistent discipline. It's so key, yeah. the consistency. Oh, mate, listen, I'm going to have to cut you off. I've got to go for a chiropractic appointment. Um, but uh, if I, there's, you're, you're leaving me wanting to hear loads more. Guys, I'll put in the blurb um, James's book, Life on Fire. Get that. Be in touch. Um, we'll put his details of Prayer Storm uh, and how you can access the tools that he's offering. James, mate, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. We're cheering you on. I hope this will generate more interest in, in what you're up to and so that you can serve even more effectively the body of Christ in this nation and to the nation's. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, mate, it's been great. All right, guys. Whew. 
I am challenged, I am stirred, I'm inspired. Please, if you are likewise, share this with mates. I think it's a key message for the church, capital C, that we need to hear and we need to respond to, we need to activate more and go deeper with. So uh, I'd love it. Pass it on to people, gossip it. Um, if you want to be in touch with me, uh, simongilbert.com. Uh, I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing, Mike Sandiman for the mixing next week. Another fantastic guest, very different journeys we've all got. But I look forward to that and sharing him with you. Um, in the meantime, have a great week. God bless you and toodaloo.